0: John 13, beginning at verse 31. Listen then for the voice of God. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. So my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me And just as I told you, uh, just as I told the Jews, so I will tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. The word of the Lord. It was a typical Tuesday. I listened to an old Lutheran lament that there were only 24 people in his church last Sunday. He keeps me abreast of their demise. I went from there and I saw a Christian Reformed gentleman who worries about the splintering of his congregation, classes, and denomination over politics and sexuality. I read about the decline of participation in the Catholic mass and the dearth of young men studying for the priesthood. And I read about the, quote, poisoning of evangelical churches as they wrap Jesus in the robe of Christian nationalism and cultural grievance. And I talked to a local pastor who feels in his words, the dark cloud of sadness and division that hangs over culture and country. And then that evening, amidst the good cheer and delightful spirit of a council meeting, (laughs) that's the truth, I still worried about hope. It was a typical Tuesday. Maybe you know the same. Many of us know an undercurrent of unease. The metaphorical clouds on the horizon are substantial. That we had the second cloudiest April on record didn't help. (laughs) The fabric of faith, culture, and community feels stretched. Tattered and threadbare. And, and talking about it, reading and thinking about it doesn't seem to engender hope. A sermon cataloging these concerns only draws attention to the unease, it doesn't offer solutions. As a friend noted, I don't know how to rise above. My reasonable fears. And then, just when we need encouragement, Jesus tells us something that's so expected, so religious, so almost stale. We need hope. And we get a Sunday school answer love. We need vision, and Jesus gives us instruction. Love one another. We need salve, and Jesus gives us a sermon. So, dear friends, what can we hear in this text? What can we learn anew? What can these lines of Jesus, how can they give us hope? Strength and encouragement for the living of these days. So consider. On their last night together, with breadcrumbs in his beard and wine on his breath, Jesus washed his disciples' feet only to have Judas soon walk out. There were clouds on the horizon. And the disciples were rightly uneasy. And then at the close of this intimate meal, among friends, Jesus launches into his longest sermon or prayer recorded in Scripture. And this farewell discourse is akin to a funeral meditation given by one who's dying. So with his heart wide open, Jesus prepares his friends for his absence And these few verses that we read serve as a sort of preamble for what follows. And as a way to set the tone, Jesus says that he is giving them a new commandment. A new commandment I give you. Love one another. Now, This may be Jesus at its rhetorical best, but it's not a new commandment. In fact, Leviticus 19.18, arguably one of the oldest passages in all of Scripture, Leviticus 19.18, put that on your refrigerator, reads this. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Jesus is not vetting original material here. The command to love is treading familiar territory, not breaking new ground. It's said that the love of others is the common thread that runs through all the great religions of the world. So, why does Jesus call it new? If this is boilerplate religious instruction, why call it new? The answer might swing on one little word: Kathos. Translated here as, as. A-S. Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I've loved you. So you must love one another. Jesus instructions, instructs his followers to love as they've seen or experienced in him. Love's model is not moral philosophy or common practice. The guide is not Moses, Abraham, David or your knuckle-headed neighbor? The archetype for love is Jesus, the one who called them, the one who washed their feet, and the one who's about to be crucified. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. A couple nuances it's worth noting that in John the glory of God is on display on the cross in the other Gospels the cross is the humiliation of Jesus in John the crucifixion is his glorification so in these opening lines of his farewell speech, Jesus instructs his disciples to love. Not as the world loves, not as everyone else loves, not even as he's, they've been instructed to love before, but to love as he loves, a love that shines brightest on the cross. John Calvin, the one with the university, John Calvin puts it this way The glory of God shines indeed in all creatures on high and below, but never more brightly than on the cross, in which there was a wonderful change of things. A condemnation of all men was manifested, sin blotted out, salvation restored to men. In short, the whole world was renewed and all things restored to order. When God's glory is at its brightest, Jesus says, love one another as I've loved you. This is not love as feeling, as ideal, but love as self-emptying sacrifice. This is love as God's glory. Second nuance. The verb form of love here is not a command to commence to loving. Jesus is not demanding that they start doing something new, but that they continue doing what they've already been doing. In the absence of Jesus, Carry on loving. So the source of love is God. The model of love is Jesus on the cross. And the byproduct of love is that they'll know we are Christians by our love. Now I remember the line. Source of love is God. Model is Christ on the cross. Byproduct is they'll know we are Christians by our love. Last summer, uh, I was hit by a car and uh, <laughs> spent three weeks in intensive care and on the trauma floor in Christ Hospital. I don't remember very much from my stay. Lately, I've been asking Sandy about what happened, what she experienced, I've been trying to fill in holes. It turns out someone at Hope had the wisdom to discourage visits. I know there were visitors who slipped through the cracks. I couldn't tell you who they all were. But at the end of those first three weeks, I wrote this. Right before I left the hospital, I wrote this. In the quiet of a hospital room in the middle of the night when fear is real, I prayed simple prayers. God help. God thank you. But I didn't have a unique experience of God's peace or presence. I didn't... Turn to scripture, I didn't recite hymn lyrics. What I felt was the love and support of others, the presence of God in people. I was buoyed by their visits, calls, texts, and stacks of cards. I could feel the love of God in friend and family. It broke through the concussive drug fog. They were the visible expressions of an invisible God. I was embarrassed, or I I was embarrassed by the attention. I'm thankful for a host of friends who love me. I don't remember all the details, but I know that was true. I remember feeling buoyed, supported, and loved by what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. called the beloved community. Love one another as I've loved you. So you must love one another. That's my testimony. In holy envy, finding God in the faith of others, Barbara Brown Taylor wrestles with the complexity of a multi-religious world, the demise of the church, and what it means to follow Jesus. And at one point, in suggesting that the future of the church is smaller and humbler, with less property and fewer clergy pensions, She writes this. I like a soaring cathedral with a high pulpit and a huge pipe organ as much as the next person. But maybe it's time to swap that out for something that calls a little less attention to itself. Something that frees up a little more energy for the neighbor. When everything else is gone there is still that When everything else is gone there's still that the twinned love of God and neighbor come to vivid life in the person of Jesus Dear friends you are the beloved community a community that finds its calling in one little word. Love as Jesus loved. You are the beloved community called to the twinned love of God and neighbor. So, look, I don't know what to say about a typical Tuesday, It's easy to be uneasy. It's commonplace now to be discouraged or despairing about the state of affairs in country, church, culture, economy, and environment. Amen? So if you feel any of this, you're not alone. And it is easy to make an angry noise in social protest or on social media. I'm not sure about the best way to initiate change or to channel worry or rage. I know that we represent a variety of political impulses about how best to love our neighbors. And sometimes we get stuck or lost in those big political dynamics. But there is something so simple, stripped down and twinned in what Jesus says here. He doesn't leave us with bells and whistles, lightsabers and political platforms He leaves us with the instruction to love. So this morning, oh, he's never very practical. It's all wordy and theological, and he's never very practical. How about this? This morning, can you identify one person Maybe in particular one person who is marginalized or neglected. And can you identify and commit to loving that person? What would acceptance, kindness, and sacrifice look like in that relationship? If you set aside, if we could set aside self interest, comfort, and familiarity, what would love look like? Can you set your heart to love that person in concrete ways that don't expect attention or payoff? Can you love? as you've been loved by Jesus. I don't know the implications for the big picture. But I believe that light pushes back dark, love overcomes fear, and life defeats death. It's the glory of God. And it's what we're all longing for. Amen.